Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here. I thank you for Jeff and Jeff and Chris, my brothers, that helped get us together every week, bring us together live streaming and preparing material for us. Thank you for Phil. I know he's restored, rested, and back uh, in the swing of things. Renewed spirit. Lord, for those of us here who may not have that renewed spirit that need that, I ask that you open our hearts, open our ears, allow us to receive your message. Fill our hearts, fill our lives with your joy. Your name be bright. Amen. That one's on. That one's on. We good? We're hot. I'm back. Had a great week at the beach. Uh, you know, I was thinking, um, I love uh, our week at the beach that we've done for years. And our way of handling the beach is the girls sleep to about 11 o'clock. I'm up early drinking coffee. Love that quiet time. We head to the beach every afternoon. I have a backpack full of books, my headphones, listening to music, reading books, spend all afternoon on the um, beach. And then we come in and grab something to eat and do that for seven days. It's great. Um, you know, I was thinking, uh, you know, through the years, I've had uh, a number of female clients that have talked to their plastic surgeons and that they get these face peels and they come into my office. And I mean, they're just like smoked. And I'm thinking, why would you do that? Why would you give all that money to your plastic surgeon? Just go to the beach and sit on the beach for a week. Cause that's what I did. I've already had my face peel, you know, everything's peeled off. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. My plastic surgeon's a little mad at me, but you know, get him. All right. Glad to be back and uh, grateful for Ron finishing off our um, last uh, session of our mini series, 50 ways uh, to love your lover. And well, as I, uh, Joe said earlier, we'll have that handout through the month of August. We'll get back to Joshua and finish up Joshua and then, um, after Labor Day, uh, we'll have a new series uh, for the fall uh, that I'm already working on, excited about. Um, Joshua, as we have gone through Joshua, we're using Joshua as our template, as our model, and then there's uh, 10 issues of manhood that we're covering, and we're covering culture. Wow. Culture. And I was thinking of the song that I wanted to offer you this morning, and uh you know, I grew up in the 50s and the 60s. Well, what a time to grow up. Those of us who are uh, old enough to have grown up in the 60s and what we were watching on the Walt, on Walter Cronkite uh, every night and the news and all that, it was crazy. And it's always been crazy. I mean, lest we think that we're in the worst time uh, of our country, our history, uh, there's been lots of worse times, lots of worse times. Uh, it's the way uh, the world works. Uh, the world is not uh, a safe place. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so uh, I, I pulled up an old uh, 60s anthem, What's Going On, by Marvin Gaye. Listen to just the first couple stanzas. Marvin Gaye, by the way, uh, Blowing in the Wind, you know, was kind of the cultural anthem by Bob Dylan. Scott knows that well, of course, as most everybody else does. My music savant back there, uh, you know, and then uh, blowing in the wind were a number of uh, demands that Dylan was making, number of, uh, a cry of protest. Um, 
Marvin Gaye's um, anthem, What's Going On, uh, is much more of an emotional appeal. Um, Haunted by war, relational strife, racial prejudice. He went into seclusion and he wrote this song and came out as a powerful voice of that whole generation. First couple stanzas, mother, mother, there's too much, uh, too many of you crying. Brother, 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 there's far too many of you dying, Vietnam War. You know, we've got to find a war, uh, a way to bring some love in here today. Father, father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the answer for only love can conquer hate. You know, we've got to find a way to bring some love in here today. Here's what I would ask you to do as we watch this song. And the visual of this is just fun, taking us back in time. I want you to pray for our culture. Pray for your homes, our neighborhoods, our state, our country. Just ask God um, to bring his truth to bear. What's going on?
will bow their heads and pray to me. I will heal their land. It's a paraphrase of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. God, heal our land. We need you. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. We continue our series. Follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. Joshua, take the land, be the man. The book of Joshua is the book of conquest. The battlefield is Canaan, and it is where God keeps his promise that he made with Abraham. In this study, we will use the land possessed by Joshua and the people of Israel as a metaphor to understand how we take possession of what it means to be a Christian man. We will examine 10 issues that men face every day. Each day is a battle to be faced with courage, strength, and faith. You must be courageous, will you? So today, uh, we look at issue number nine, culture. What is your role? What is your role? God has invited us into his redemptive drama. He is the star of the drama, but he's invited us to play a significant role. What is your role? I want you to, to examine that, examine your own heart this morning. I mean, we're a relatively small group. I mean, our, our nation, our world is made up of millions and billions of people. But God is a personal God that's given each of us a role to play. So pick up your pen. Let's go to work. I want you to engage. Question number one, and this is, is all about culture, and we'll talk about this. What are your thoughts about the value of human life? You should write something down. What, what are your thoughts? What, what words, phrases, ideas come to your mind about the value of human life? the value of human life. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wow, what if we all believe that? What if we really did believe that? And we were unified in that belief. I think that would change our culture. I believe that one of the issues in our culture right now is the devaluing of human life, and that is a core issue. It's a core issue. Second question, what concerns you about the culture? Write it down. What concerns you about the culture? Sometimes we've got all these thoughts roaming around in our head and, it, and it's just good to kind of like stop for a minute and write it down and specify, what are you concerned about in terms of our culture?
Third question, what is God wanting you to do to influence, to be an influencer with others? What comes to your mind? What, would, what do you write down? God, what is my role? What is my role? What is my role? So what I want you to do is I want you to turn to your partner and I want you to talk about that third one for a minute. Make a new friend, talk to an old friend. Um, talk about that third one. What is God wanting you to do to influence others? Share that for a minute. So um, give me words and phrases that you heard coming out of your own mouth, or maybe better yet, tell me what your friend said. What did you learn from your friend? Influence culture, words, phrases. Servant leader. Be a role model. It is about live your life as its own camera. You are on camera. Everything is being recorded these days. Yeah. Grateful. Ministry to China. Listen. There we go. Listen. Listen more. Okay. Yeah. an influence with your family and, and friends and um, don't get so globally focused that you miss what's in front of you. Let me, let me share, uh, Steve, last one and we'll move on. I don't know how to spell that. <laughs> All right. How about let's, let's just do that. Influence the many. All right, how about that? How about that? We'll, we'll just capture it right there. All right. <laughs> Always got to be a Czech Republican in the group, you know? So, so um, guys, when, when I did this myself, um, um, several words came to my mind that I, that I want to offer you. Um, um, kindness. Romans 2.4 says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. 
um, something about kindness. We, we've got to figure out what that means. I'm doing a whole series right now down in Fairhope on Friday morning. And tomorrow we're doing, well, we're doing the whole series on character and what we're covering is kindness. And um, I was asking uh, the guys for illustrations of kindness. And one of the guys um, was at the uh, Fairhope Inn. Some of you have eaten at the Fairhope Inn, one of our favorite places to eat. We love the Fairhope Inn. And um, there was a table of eight or so, and they were just being rude um, to the uh, waiter. And anybody that's in the restaurant business uh, right now, it's like, dude, don't scare off my waiters and waitresses, right? And uh, one of our guys uh, in our group um, um, got up, went over to the table, and kindly but assertively um, asked them not to be rude to the waiter because he was busting his butt to do everything he could. And of course, you know, that could have went really, really bad. I could have gone in a hundred different directions, but they changed their tone and he spoke in to that situation. That, that took some guts, took some guts. Kindness, kind, be kind to one another. The, the other thing of course is, uh, is truth. Somehow we've got to stay anchored in the truth. And it's so hard. Our culture, everything, everything is relative, you know? And it's just like, stay anchored to the truth. I, I can't, you know, be concerned about what everybody else is believing, but I've got to stay anchored to the truth as best I know how. And God's word is our truth. Love your enemies. Pray. Engage. Those sorts of things. Culture. So let's jump back to Joshua. As we've said throughout this series, God always gives us a model, an example, in order to execute what he wants from us in our obedience. And so Joshua is our model. Manhood is the objective. Turn over to Joshua chapter 20. By the time we get to Joshua 20, obviously Joshua has led the Israelites um, into the promised land. They've crossed the Jordan. Uh, they've gone through city upon city. There's been lots of drama and lots of good battles and episodes. And all through uh, the drama, God's been teaching us to live by faith. Joshua? If you guys think you got this, uh, you ain't got this. Remember AI, didn't work out too good because Joshua thought he got this. You don't got this because what God was teaching Joshua and the people, you got to keep trusting me. You can't put me in a box. I'm not going to let you do Jericho and it just be a template. Just, you know, every time you come to a city, just march around the city on the seventh day, blow the ram's horn. We've got this. Put a manual together right? Let's do a manual, you know, march around the city, blow ram's horn on uh, seventh day. How hard can it be? God said, no, no, you got to trust me. It's got to trust me. And he did it creatively and he did it differently. Don't put God in a box. You've got to trust me. 
So they've divided up the land and now they're starting to get organized. And this is an interesting passage that we come to in Joshua chapter 20. So follow with me. Um, and this is a passage about asylum cities. In our day, we would call them sanctuary cities. Anybody know anything about sanctuary cities? Oh, yeah. It's a little bit different here. Watch this. Verse 1, then God spoke to Joshua, tell the people of Israel, designate the asylum cities as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally, that is unintentionally, manslaughter, may flee there as a safe place of asylum from the avenger of blood. Now, in that culture and in that time, uh, that if somebody was killed by an axe handle flying off uh, the axe head and hits the guy, uh, your brother in the head, then you could avenge the death. And so all the brothers would come and kill the guy that didn't have his axe head uh, secured on the handle. So any kind of an accidental death could be avenged. God's changing that. A person shall escape for refuge to one of these cities, stand at the entrance to the city gate, and lay out his case before the city leaders. The leaders must then take him into the city among them and give him a place to live with them. You can write in the margin of your Bible, on your notes, whatever. Uh, you've got it in your notes. The value of human life. That's what this is about. The value of human life. It's not to be disrespected, whether it be the one that got killed accidentally or the one who killed accidentally. It's the value of human life. And then verse 5, if the avenger of blood chases after him, there's, you know, uh, the brothers, come on. You know, they killed baby brother. Let's get him. Mount up. Posse. They must not give him up. He didn't intend to kill. They must not give him up. He didn't intend to kill the person. There was no history of ill feeling. He may stay in that city until he has stood trial before the congregation and until the death of the current high priest. Then he may go back to his own home in his hometown from which he fled. Guys, this passage is, is an unusual passage in that God is establishing these asylum cities, sanctuary cities, because of the value of human life. That is a core character of God. He provided the cities of refuge for those who committed manslaughter. And when we do not support appropriate penalties for the taking of human life, we show disdain for other people and for the Lord in whose image we are made. A core value individually and as a culture, according to God's word, foundationally, is the value of human life. On occasion, uh, I've done weddings for friends and, and, and family. And I love doing a, a wedding if it's not on a football Saturday, because a wedding will mess up a good football Saturday. You know, Dad, got it. who plans a wedding during football season? You know? Um, but when I get to do a wedding, I always 
read Psalm 8. And Psalm 8 is the psalm that says we are just a little lower than the angels. It is the value of human life because if you're going into a wedding, uh, in, into a marriage, it's really important that you have respect and value for one another. And when we start disrespecting and devaluing, just being angry or objectifying our spouse, that's when we start having marriage and foundational issues. It's like we don't think about that, that I'm devaluing human life, but that's what's happening. You know, you're disrespecting. I had a couple sitting in front of me this week in Fairhope, and I mentioned how judgment kills intimacy. And he says, well, I don't judge. And then the next five minutes, he berates his wife. And I looked at him, and I said, dude, you don't judge? What in the wide, wide world of sports? That's exactly what I said. I said, what in the wide, wide world of sports do you think you just did? If I had that on YouTube and I played that back for you, that was judgment. But, you know, oh, Bubba, he doesn't think he's judging. You know, he's not aware. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus, once again, models this idea of the value of human life. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16. It's obvious, of course, that he didn't, Jesus didn't go to all this trouble for angels. He didn't die for angels. It was for people like us, children of Abraham, the true Jews. True Jews are not the ones that are born Jews. Scripture says the true Jews are the ones who believe Jesus as the Messiah. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sins, our sins, he would have already experienced it all himself. That's amazing. He's experienced the pain of sin in the same way we have. All the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where people, where help was needed. He valued our life enough to die for our life, to give us life. So what we would say is that if we're going to really model manhood, then we have got to have a sense of mercy and value of life. Um, any, anybody ever been to Hillsdale, Michigan? It's about two hours outside of Detroit. Uh, Hillsdale College and all the resources that they put out would be a resource that I would strongly encourage you to tap into. It's a fantastic uh, university. Um, and they have great resources. And Hillsdale, Michigan, um, just this week uh, has, is proposing to become a, a sanctuary city, a sanctuary for the unborn. 
listen to this. One Michigan city could join the nearly three dozen U.S. cities that have adopted the label, quote, sanctuary for the unborn, unquote, by banning abortion and fining those who provide abortion services. On Monday, Hillsdale City uh, Council discussed a proposed ordinance that would allow, that would allow outlaw abortions, abortion clinics, as well as health professionals uh, distributing drugs that induce abortions. Those found assisting someone in getting an abortion, be it financially by providing transportation to clinics or doctors, or even just offering information would be in violation of the ordinance and would face a maximum of 90 days in jail and a $500 fine. But guys, obviously, I could go into all kinds of discussion and we could get into political discussion and all that. All I'm trying to say on, on just a very fundamental level with just the brief time that I have is if we don't personally value human life, it is the breakdown of our personal life and our culture. Simple as that. Joshua 21. The next piece of this is that as God continues to give boundaries and instruction on how to live, um, Joshua 21 is instructions on how the Levites would live. Now, Levites were the priestly tribe. They didn't have a designated uh, piece of dirt. They lived uh, throughout. Verse 41 says this of Joshua 21, the Levites held 48 towns with their accompanying pastures within the territory of the people of Israel. Each of these towns had pastures surrounding it. This was the case for all of these towns. And so God gave Israel the entire land that he had solemnly vowed to give to their ancestors. God gave them the land. They took possession of it and made themselves at home in it. And God gave them rest on all sides as he had also solemnly vowed to keep their ancestors. Not a single one of these enemies was able to stand up to them. God handed over all their enemies to them. Not one word fell from all the good words God spoke to the house of Israel. Everything came out right. But guys, the point of that passage is just simply this, is that God is a promise keeper. God is a promise keeper. Every morning that I get up, I do the best that I know how to do to try to anchor myself in that truth. That's what the gospel is about. That's what calling yourself a God follower, Jesus follower, a child of God is about. Is um, In Joshua 21, 41 through 45, the author stresses the faithfulness of God in delivering the promised land into the hand of Israel. God is a promise keeper. God, I believe your promises today. I'll walk by faith. I'll trust you. I'll trust you. And so if, if we're going to move into manhood, it is critical that we have value of mercy um, and heightened value for human life and that we believe God is the promise keeper. Simple as that. That's the, kind of the summary of Joshua. 
So manhood, so moving into culture, what, what does it really look like? I want you to turn over to Jeremiah 29. Now this is an interesting passage, Jeremiah 29, um, as we look at culture. Uh, most everybody knows Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. It's kind of like 1 Corinthians 13, you know. You kind of know John 3, 16, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, hopefully, you know, that's the love chapter. And then out of an, out of an Old Testament context, everybody pretty much knows Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, right? Yeah, 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 right. Okay, you know, I have plans for you to give you a future and a hope. And, and when you seek me, you'll find me when you seek for me with all your heart. That summary of 11 through 13. But you know what the context of that is? A cultural nightmare. That Israel had been wayward. And even though uh, in Joshua they had the land and they had all this promise and hope, as the years went by, they got wayward and wayward and wayward and dead gone it, or dead gum it, as Coach Bowden would say. They got wayward. And God let the Babylonians come in and take over. And so 11 through 13, uh, talking about a future and a hope, is in the context of them being under the rule of Babylonians. Now listen to this. This is, this is a hard passage. Listen to this. Verse 4. In King Nebuchadnezzar, was the king of Babylon. He was over the Jews now. They were under his rule. And this is what God says. This is the, verse four, this is the message from God of the angel armies, Israel's God, to all the exiles I've taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and make yourselves at home. What? Put in gardens and eat what grows in that country. You mean, you you mean you want us just to become Babylonians? But we're Jews. We, we don't eat pork. Babylonians eat pork. Marry and have children. Encourage your children to marry and have children so that you'll thrive in that country and not waste away. Make yourselves at home there and work for the country's welfare. Now, guys, this is a hard, hard passage. Think about it. Pray for Babylon's well-being. If things go well for Babylon, things will go well for you. Yes, believe it or not, this is the message from God of the angel armies, Israel's God. Don't let all those so-called preachers and know-it-alls who are all over the place there take you in with their lies. Don't listen to the preachers in Babylon. Don't pay any attention to the fantasies they keep coming up with to please you. They're a bunch of liars preaching lies and claiming I sent them. I never sent them. Believe me. Believe my promises. Well, let me show you a two-and-a-half-minute clip by Mike Metzger. Uh, he has a ministry. I love uh, his website, Explore God. Great resource. Again, listen to Mike Metzger, spiritual coach and mentor, as he unpacks this passage. God, 
what does it look like for me to live in this culture that we live in? There's nothing new in history and the best historical precedent for the world we live in today happened 2,500 years ago and it was called the Babylonian exile. And the Jews had so squandered and uh, hadn't done particularly well in their faith for hundreds of years and God took them and plunked them in Babylon and said, we're gonna start over. And the first two things they did, uh, studied the language and literature of Babylon and then the second thing was uh, they began to seek the flourishing of Babylon so that uh, Nebuchadnezzar would take their faith seriously. The reason I say this very similar to the world we're in today is the city of Babylon, which had the eighth wonder of the world, the um, Hanging Gardens, had 1,197 temples. There was religion everywhere, and it was all the same. And God said, good, now I'm going to put you in this situation. Now here's the trick. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't take any of these faiths seriously. That's why he has diviners in his court. Your challenge is to learn the language and literature of these people, figure out ways for them to flourish, and as you do that and as they flourish, so shall you flourish. And as they take your faith seriously, they'll see there is one true God. I happen to think we're back in that age today. Uh, I think that the modern age most closely parallels the Babylonian exile and that our best move is to learn the language and literature of what the world we're living in, what it's saying, seek its flourishing, find ways for it to do well and do good, and have those people, many of them leaders, come back and say, where the heck do you get this stuff? Well, wow, why is this so helpful? And. Um, it's a big, big challenge. King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians didn't take the Jews' faith seriously. I mean, you know, you guys are you—you're under our control. I mean, what kind of god do you guys serve? Huh? No. Live out your faith. Allow the Babylonians to see your faith flourishing so that they might believe, so that they might believe. See, again, we've got to figure out where we're going to serve. Where are you? Where are you? See, God's given us influence. What is your corner of the puzzle. God wants each of us to go find some unredeemed corner of culture and claim it for the glory of Christ. It's like, go, go and flourish the creation mandate. Move into the garden, the creation mandate, rule, subdue, have dominion, influence, make it a better place because you're there and when they, are at, when they ask you what kind of power you have, you tell them that his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Jesus' model of the culture was to engage the culture. When Peter was confronted by the Roman soldier, he wanted to take his sword out and start fighting. 
And Jesus said, no, put your sword back. I didn't call in that way. But engage the culture. I want to read something to you just quickly that my good friend Marek um, gave me. Um, and I thought I had that marked. And then, you know, there it is. Okay. This is out of a book that Marek is reading right now. Velvet Meets the Iron Curtain, the Autobiography of a Czech Dancer. Now, this is not the autobiography of Marek, but it could be. But just to read one paragraph to you, because Marek grew up in the Czech Republic. Many of you know our dear brother. And this is what can happen. This is what happened in the Czech Republic. There's statues of godly men in the Czech Republic. That's not uh, the case today, that the country's not filled with godly men. This is what the author uh, of this book says. The only thing completely absent in my childhood was any kind of spiritual upbringing. Both my mom and dad were the products of the communist society in its teaching, which taught us from a young age that what one can touch and feel is real and everything else is unnecessary distraction in and of life. I've never seen a printed version of the Holy Bible, not until I was, I'd never seen, until I was 16 years old. I'd certainly never heard of Jesus and the rescuing work he accomplished through the cross and his resurrection from the dead. We never graced the doors of a church, not for Christmas, not for Easter. The glorious cathedrals in Usti, very good, I got that right, Usti, and around the country were empty structures, purposed to stand as a resolute reminder of the weaknesses of those who came before us who relied on the help of God to make it through life. We were modern people. We were smarter than them. We were dependent on socialist ideas to navigate the road called life. This road promised progress, happiness, and safety. In return, it demanded a complete devotion. Religion, where dependence on God was practiced, was a defiant enemy needing to be abolished. It was viewed to be a dangerous disease, slowly eating away the competent focus in one's life. God was not real. God did not exist. The Czech Republic. Guys, God has given us the gospel. John 17 is a passage that I want you to read this week. Um, John 17 is Jesus' prayer. It's a beautiful prayer of how he prays that God would keep us safe as we're in the world and not of the world. It's a beautiful reminder of the culture around us that we belong to the kingdom of God. We're truly citizens of the kingdom more than we are of the culture around us. John 17, anchor yourself in that this week. God's given us the gospel. He gave it through Joshua in the Old Testament. Joshua was a type of Jesus. And as we surrender to the power of God through the gospel, we can engage the culture that is around us. Greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. Don't be afraid. Let's close with prayer. Father, thank you so much uh, for your power, uh, for your victory, for the joy that we have as we walk with you. Um, 
calm our fears, uh, help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.